everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, and anxiety spectrum disorders and getting your life back. My name is Kevin Foss. I'm your host, and I'm a licensed therapist, clinician specializing in the treatment of OCD and anxiety spectrum disorders. So thank you all for joining me today. The FearCast is a question and answer based podcast where you, the listener, get to answer or ask rather me, the therapist, questions about OCD and anxiety stuff. And uh, I will uh, read it, uh, consider it, and likely put it up on a future episode. Um, If you would like a question answered for a future episode, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can submit a question uh, by submitting or clicking on the submit a question link and you will follow the directions and uh, go forward from there. I I think y'all will know how to do that. Uh, You can also check me out over at fearcastpodcast.com over at um, the Instagrams. Uh, Feel free to check out some of my posts there. You can also send me an audio question there. You can also send me an audio question through the website. Uh, Typically, if you just uh, record it into your phone or computer and upload that to a shared Google Drive or something like that, send me the link and I will put that up on a future episode and you will get bumped to the front of the list. That is how the the, uh, audio questions are working. So thank you all uh, again, as I've mentioned, for joining me today. So today is a special episode. Today, we are going to be focusing on one specific topic. There will be no questions for this, but I had the the fantastic, the brilliant, the uh, the wonderful Chris Tronson join me again today uh, for uh, uh, or to for this discussion about orthorexia. So, uh, uh, Chris joined me for uh, an episode a while ago to discuss body dysmorphic disorder, and he uh, uh, was so kind to join me again today to talk about orthorexia. So, orthorexia is a uh, it's a it's kind of a it's a disorder that's kind of new it doesn't even have its own diagnosis within uh, the DSM uh, but um, but it's it, it kind of straddles that line between eating disorder and OCD and it's basically an obsession with proper or healthy eating now it um, well we are going to talk about it in tremendous detail uh, in the episode but um, this is uh, there's not a ton of information out there much less information about how you can work with it and what you can do with it so Chris uh, Chris and I thought this would be a, a good subject to put up on the internet. So, uh, I, I will also say if uh, if you have questions about orthorexia that uh, that you would like answered, feel free to go over to Fearcast Podcast and send me uh, send me that question. I'll put that up uh, on a future episode to address any and all of those questions. Chris has said that he'd be happy to join me for that f- uh, future episode to talk about uh, talk about them, give some suggestions, some guidance, some recommendations on things that uh, you can do or point you in the right direction about uh, uh, wh- where you can. Can get started um, in, in treatment. So additionally, we had mentioned in the episode that there are there are some videos or TikTok influencers that specifically talk against or speak against uh, other TikTok or Instagram influencers who talk about um, uh, health and diet and um, uh, 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 things of that nature. Um, so he has sent me a couple. We found a couple. So I'm going to post those to the uh, uh, to the uh, Facebook or not the Facebook. I'm going to post those to the uh, episode page for this. I over at fearcastpodcast.com so you can go check those out if you're trying to find some resources for yourself or some resources perhaps for a loved one who is uh, struggling with, um, with, with what you might think is orthorexia. So a little about Chris before we get into the episode. So uh, Chris Tronson is a licensed marriage and family therapist uh, specializing in uh, OCD and anxiety treatment uh, at the Gateway Institute in Southern California. 
along with the full range of OCD symptoms that he treats, he does have a specific interest uh, in, in working with folks with BDD and orthorexia. And he has served as an advocate for individuals with with OCD uh, uh, through his uh, through his online support groups and uh, uh, publications. To hear more from Chris, you can join him, um, myself as well, along with a, a bunch of other folks, uh, by attending the OCD SoCal uh, Virtual OCD Conference. And that's going to be the sixth annual uh, OCD conference. And that's going to be happening uh, uh, at the end of this month, so at the end of April. So uh, to learn uh, more about that, you can go to ocdsocal.org. So that's O-C-D-S-O-C-A-L.org uh, to find out more about the, uh, about the conference and about um, uh, and about Chris there. So without further ado, here's our conversation about orthorexia. All right, Chris, thank you so much for joining me again today to talk about orthorexia, not only just what orthorexia is, how you can work with it, but also to share a little bit of your own personal experience with it. So um, uh, thank you again for joining. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm always excited to see you. And I'm always excited talking about a topic that I feel, um, especially something like this, that not a lot of information is out there. Absolutely. Well, before we, uh, before we, we, we pressed a uh, record, you were about to share a little bit about, uh, or you shared uh, with me a little bit about what, what orthorexia is from your perspective, because it's not, it's not a, 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 a defined or encoded, um, I guess not encoded in the DSM just yet um, disorder, but it's kind of an amalgamation of things that uh, that that uh, needs to be uh, uh, addressed or identified more specifically. So, uh, you were also about to share a little bit about your personal experience. So, I guess I'll I'll leave that up to you if you'd like to share, you know, kind of how how you came to your knowledge of it, or in it, well, why don't you start with that? Share with a little bit about your your experience with it, and then how that led to your understanding of what orthorexia is. Absolutely. So how I even figured out what it was is, is I, you know, there was kind of a perfect storm for me. Like I grew up with a mom that was a registered dietitian and we just always ate healthy. We didn't have soda in the house. We didn't have sweets. Halloween, we got five pieces of candy, gave the rest away. We always had water and pure juice in the house. Dessert was Greek yogurt with grapes. So I already grew up eating like that. We didn't have white bread in the house. So we did lettuce wraps for meat, for sandwiches. So just growing up with that knowledge and eating healthy, healthy was already sort of programmed in my DNA. Um, and then, you know, the OCD, the rigidity, rigidity, the all or nothing, the black or white, like that was still very fresh right after I finished treatment. And I, um, you know, was still struggling with body image and body dysmorphic disorder and not necessarily only about my body weight and appearance, but it was also like healthy skin, healthy nails, healthy hair. And so, it really hit ahead when I got a job at a gym chain um, by my house. And so all of my friends were eating healthy, were personal trainers. The gym culture was very, you know, um, exact. And so I will always think about it. There was a book that was written by the editors of Men's Health magazine, and it was like a top seller, and it was called The Abs Diet. And the book is like this neon orange bookcase. So it's like, you know, if you ever see the book, the book wrap or whatever you call it, the book cover is like this neon orange, and it's The Abs Diet. And so reading through what the diet really focused on is like how to take out common foods and replace them with healthier options. And so some of the main ones I remember is get rid of all milk chocolate, replace it with dark chocolate 
chocolate, 70% or above. Uh, no more high fructose corn syrup. So that can be found in things like ketchup and juices. So making sure that you're getting organic and it's, um, it's everywhere, basically everything, it's everything. Right? It's high fructose corn syrup. You know, another thing is replace all like milks and stuff with 1% or um, like light milk, light cheeses, like things that mm -hmm. have lower fat. Mm. Um, snacks have to be almonds, but they have to be raw and not salted. When you get a salad, not eating uh, iceberg lettuce, it has to be green lettuce and spinach because that actually has vitamins in it. And there's many more things in this book and certain foods like avocados are championed and only olive oil to cook things in getting rid of butter. So the average person may have read this book and saw certain changes that they need to make to their diet. To me, it absolutely like changed my life, not necessarily in a positive. It was like, suddenly I could only eat those type of foods. If anything was mentioned as a bad food, I would not eat it. Um, and so at the time I was living with family and we, I, I kind of bullied my family into changing our purchasing habits. So instead mm -hmm. of shopping at a chain grocery store, it was only Whole Foods, Trader Joe's and Sprouts. It could only be at those chains because most things are non-GMO, organic, no preservatives. And like we were kind of talking about earlier, the problem is it was being reinforced. It was being right. reinforced by growing up with that, the rigidity mm -hmm. of OCD. You know, it talked a lot about how not only does it have body weight, but you're going to feel healthier and look healthier. And then working at a gym, I mean, the whole culture was championing that. So when I would come in with my like spinach wrap sandwiches and everything was organic and low, I mean, my, my colleagues at the gym were like, awesome. What, what recipe is that? And so it was reinforced. But what people didn't realize is I was tracking everything in an app, hit certain calories. They had to be made up of these kind of foods. And so I would go to a restaurant and not eat with friends, or I'd go to a friend's house and not eat, or I'd be looking through everything I ate to see the ingredients and it completely consumed me. Right. Right. And I'm sure during all that time where it might have been seen as a problem, where you might have seen it as something you didn't want to do, you could justify it by saying, it's healthy, it's good for you. All these other people think it's a good idea. There are, all, there are whole sections in books or whole sections of bookstores, remember bookstores, that are just <laughs> talking about health and reinforcing all the things that you're doing. So it, 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 where where would somebody going through this process start to recognize and start to be able to wrap their head around the idea that maybe what they're doing actually isn't helpful, but is in fact a, a, a detriment? Yeah, we were talking a little bit earlier. It was very egocentric, so it actually didn't right. come from me. I, mm -hmm. I never thought it was a problem. I just thought, okay, I'm eating healthy. I'm eating the way that I need to. And you know, one thing that we can go into a little bit deeper later. But the main thing and the reason that I don't necessarily even think of it as like an eating disorder is because there wasn't so much of a focus on like weight loss and body image. That was more like secondary. It was like. I got to eat healthy. Like it makes sense. It was such a fixation on healthy eating that the whole looks component was kind of like a secondary. It was just like this reinforced, you're eating healthy, you're going to live longer, you're going to look healthy. And that's such a California lifestyle. Um, <laughs> right. And it actually like started with my grandma was the first person I remember mentioning it to me and just saying, you know, you don't have to eat like this. Like we're all a healthy family. Like you can have, like I wasn't eating sugars. I wasn't, you know, I was just like in, you know, very, very intense. Um, and then it was really, I didn't live with my mom at the time, but then when I would start to talk to her about it, I mean, even though she's a registered dietitian, she's telling me, wait a second, like you actually need some 
other things in your diet. You need to have more of a variety than you have. And your body's going to crave these things that you don't want. But the problem is I would ignore those cravings because that's how powerful, like, you know, your, your hyper fixation on this is. But I mean, I did it for years and years and years. And because I was an adult, I mean, my eating habits were more personal. I wasn't a kid where my family was making meals and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but it started to bleed over to, we couldn't even have these foods in the house because what if I slip up and eat these? So it right. wasn't brought to my attention until other people started to be impacted. I, I remember I went on a trip with my family and like barely being able to eat anything on this trip. And that was really like when family was like, wait a second, like, this is the first time we're around you, all of your meals. This isn't okay. Right. Yeah. And you, you, you said a term there that I'm just going to just, uh, uh, touch on real quick. Um, so we said ego dystonic versus syntonic. I think perhaps for some people who are listening to this, they may not be initiated into the world of uh, the, in the lingo. Um, ego syntonic, meaning this is a, this is a thought that is consistent with, with my, my beliefs. It's a good thing to me. It's something that feels uh, uh, like, like the right thing to do or, or in line with who it is that I want or who it is that I want to be, my values, the things that I find important. Ego dystonic are thoughts or things that are inconsistent with those. So, you know, having a thought about, um, you know, doing something nice for my wife and kids, that might be consistent with me. That's egocentric. Having a thought about, I don't know, murdering them and eating them um, may or may not be in that order. Um, that would be ego dystonic. That's something that I would not like to be doing. So, to use an extreme example, um, so an egocentric idea that comes with uh, orthorexia is, yeah, people want to be healthy. People want to do things you know, good, do things well for their body or treat their body well. Um, so to have this thought, it's, it's like, well, yes, of course we want to do this. Why wouldn't we? So that's where you, you said stuck. it so beautifully. I mean, that was what was so different is like, it felt, it, you know, all the time I kind of think about like, where does it sort of fit? Because like you're saying right. earlier, it hasn't been placed in a category and, you know, the brain with OCD loves categories, but mm -hmm. there were certain aspects that felt very OCD, but the OCD, I always knew that for the most part that I was ego dystonic and that these thoughts and feelings and stuff I had weren't correct, but the BDD was very much like I felt I looked that way. And so there was a lot of aspects with this that just felt like good choices. Like I was being healthy. Mm -hmm. I was young. I was working at a gym. I was getting compliments on the change. What I realized though, and what I think that most of us who have it don't get is that even my friends that were like personal trainers and that were sponsored bodybuilders and things had more flexibility than I. And it was their lifestyle and their living. I was running the gym. I wasn't necessarily training people or um, in fitness competitions and magazines. And my eating habits were much more strict than theirs. And mm -hmm. they would have strict moments, but they'd say, Chris, that's because we're about to compete or do a photo shoot. Like we, you know, overall eat healthy because we got to look good for our clients and stuff. But man, I mean, when other people started to even say like, hey, you're doing more intense than us. I mean, that was some of the first times that I was getting, hey, maybe this this is a little too much. It's a little extreme. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's, uh, it, it's interesting that when we, when we start to think about that, the overlap between um, or, or the, the overlap between OCD and kind of an eating disorder, um, you know, it, the lines can get really blurred with this because a lot of people would consider, you know, some of the behaviors that someone's doing within orthorexia to be, to be classic eating disorder stuff, right? It's, it's someone's hyper concerned about all the food that's going in their body, how they're treating their body, all this stuff. But where, where do they, where's the divergence line between those? I, I would say both in the clients that I see and coming from personal experience, mm -hmm. what was so different, like I said, is it was so 
like it was an afterthought when it came to appearance-based stuff. I mean, everything with, I, I didn't, I didn't struggle with a, a different eating disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, with body image and body dysmorphic disorder, I mean, that was all about appearance. It was that, and, you know, I know people personally, and obviously as a clinician who have eating disorders and it's so much about appearance and clothes fitting, that was such a, an afterthought. It was all about like healthy eating. This is what the book said. This is what trainer said. This is what registered dietitians say. I need to follow those instructions. Everything that goes past my lips has to be healthy. Oh, this is non-GMO. Great. This is organic. Awesome. Great. Great. No preservatives. Oh, the packaging is in green. It's a green product. Like it was such a fixation on that. Whereas eating disorders, people typically their behavior is driven by a need or or a a you know basically like a, a fear of gaining weight. Where sure there was components of that. I did lose weight and I was looking better and I, I felt good, but there was also some other, you know, thoughts of like, Hey, I'm maybe not going to get cancer. I'm going to live longer. Like there's even entwines with like health on that end. And so it felt very different than body dysmorphic disorder or from what I've heard from people that have eating disorders. Right. 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 And that's, and that's where it can fit in with the OCD cycles that this, this story of, yeah, if I, if, if I eat food that is not or organic, super clean, uh, do things that are super healthy for me, then I could fill in the blank. I could get cancer. I could have these bad things happen. I could develop a health issue that I wouldn't want, a GI issue, whatever the case may be. Um, and then the, obviously the compulsions of that is to check what food you're eating, the types of food you're eating, where you're getting it from. And that just reinforces that cycle, let alone the the kind of social reinforcement that you were previously talking about. Mm -hmm. And there was such a compulsivity about like looking things up on articles. You know, there were so many compulsive behaviors of like looking up, you know, there was a big like book series and website that was like, eat this, not that. And that was this, like, yeah. yes. And I was constantly checking, oh, okay, I'm never going to eat a hamburger because I can eat a turkey burger or a chicken burger. Oh, I'm not going to have a whole uh, a regular bun. I'm going to have a whole grain bun or lettuce wrap, but the lettuce can't be iceberg because the other books of the iceberg. I mean, it was like, it was such it, a fixation on that. It was so interesting how you kind of, how you, you, you describe that and how easy it is for the average person to, or perhaps... I don't know if this is an easy way to fall into orthorexia or an easy way for people to recognize how one could get there. Because you, you, you did that website did something good for a, a number of people. You're right; it is healthier to eat the turkey burger instead of the the, the hamburger, right? Yes, generally speaking, it is. But someone with orthorexia will take it that one step further. All right. Well, now I need mm. to know about. Uh, not only is it I have to, I would like to eat the turkey burger. No, I have to. But tell me about the turkey itself. Where is it from? What type is it? Does it have anything, uh, have any hormones, have any issues with it? Is it all organic? And I'm sure it can go even further. Is it grass-fed? Is it, or not grass-fed, that's cows. Um, <laughs> is it, um, that would be interesting though. <laughs> turkey, But anyways, it, it can go granular to that point. As you said, you were talking about the lettuce. And yeah. And then it was like certain brands felt better than other brands because, you know, this, this lettuce and stuff like that, like it's triple washed and it's, you know, no pesticides. Mm -hmm. So it, there was no end. And it was, I mean, just like what you're saying is it became disordered. I mean, I think that's the big difference is it genuinely had an impact on, you know, because there was days where if I was with friends or something and there weren't places to eat the kind of foods that, that, you know, all my resources and told me was okay. Like I would just skip meals. And so now I'm not mm -hmm. eating, I'm skipping 
meals. Um, and then there, there was that black and white nature of like, well, I'm not even like, Oh, I've been eating well for like two weeks. You know, my friends have some Cheetos. Let me have some. I'm hungry. It was like, absolutely not. You couldn't get me to eat those things. And I always think like the test, right? If somebody was going to give me a thousand dollars, would I eat that when I was really, <laughs> see you have, to, but here's the thing I might have, when I was at my worst, Ate, eaten those because they are the baked and they have the less fat. I mean, that wouldn't have been my ideal, but at least like, as I was getting a little bit better, I could move to that, but it was just like outright, you know, it, it, when people would eat like hot Cheetos, I remember thinking like, if I had to eat a hot Cheeto, like, I don't even know if I could survive. And it right. wasn't always based on like a deeper fear. It was just the idea that there was right, wrong. This is right to eat. This Heavy is black wrong. And, white and you thinking. don't do wrong. So that, right. so that, Right. And I think that's, that's, um, as I wrestle with my sweater, it's so hot in this room all of a sudden. So it's, um, yeah, I, I, I hear you saying where I think for, for someone with orthorexia, what can be a struggle, especially like a family member who sees, who sees their loved one going through this, is they see this, it's, they, they could talk, they could talk all day about, you know, you could eat the turkey burger and you're going to be fine. But it's, as you talked about, it's this right or wrong component to it. Mm-hmm. Now, is there, it, what is that? What does that feel like to give some insight to someone who doesn't experience that? What does that threat of right or wrong with that with that food? Like, for example, we talk, I mean, I, what, what I held up, what y'all can now hear is I have a small bag of, of baked Cheetos that uh, we got from Costco. So it's um, it's for the office, right? So it's um, so the difference between eating a baked. You said when you started coming out of it, you might be able to give yourself permission to do that. But that violated that right or wrong, right? That's even that. Yeah. As I started to recognize something was wrong and like starting to get help for it, I could move to something like baked. But like I said, the right or wrong, it never went like like the secondary stuff of like appearance and health and all that was usually not in the forefront. It was almost like morally wrong. Like this is what you're supposed to eat. Like this is every, all the factual information that you've gotten. And it it almost felt like an internal law that I needed to follow. And I did not allow myself to even pretend that I could do something outside of, of, of that. I mean, I, I was so strict. I remember even, you know, one of my good friends, he was a trainer at the gym and his brother was actually like uh, about to go into the NFL and he ate really, really well. And I remember one time he had this, like these like gummy something and he's like, Oh, do you want some? And I remember thinking, why is he eating that? Like he's healthy. He's not supposed to eat that. I was like, no, it's not healthy. And he's like, no, I know, but it's just a few gummies. Like it's a small little like fun pack. And I was like, Oh oh, no, no. Because if I would have, which I didn't even allow myself at the time, I can't even give you an and that I did eat something unhealthy and struggled because I just would not allow it. Mm-hmm. But as I recognized that I had to get out of it, I mean, when I did eat things that I called at the time, like second tier, where it's like, okay, at least it's not bad, but it's like second tier. It was, it like I said, it wasn't like these repeated thoughts of like, I'm going to die or like blah, 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 or gain weight. It was more so just like, that was wrong. You're not supposed to eat that. Why did you eat that? You, you could have chosen to get that. The grocery store isn't far. Why would you do that? So it, it did feel very almost like moral based, like you're doing something wrong. This is not healthy. So that that's what felt so different about it and why it's like, it's hard to kind of put it where it needs to go is because it was very unique for, for that. There wasn't always these like underlining worries. They, they might've been there and they may have helped shape the worry, but especially at its worst, it was just like, you don't eat that. The books that you've read, the things that you've said, it's like you're supposed to eat that. Why would you, if you can prevent it, like, why would you not prevent it? Right. It's, uh, it's a, um, it, there's a, 
Yeah, I, I want to say an, an OCPD component to it, where it's just yes. There's a uh, it's it's just obvious. Why wouldn't why wouldn't anybody why would anybody do it differently than this? Yes, right? I, I, I can't. I, I cannot believe that I've never like put those two and two together. But that's much more what it felt like. So for those people mm-hmm. that know the difference between like OCD OCPD, because it wasn't it wasn't in the sense of like intrusive thoughts all day, and I was like struggling. It was more so like around meal time. And sure, there was a lot of anxiety around meal times, especially if I wasn't going to be able to eat something that I wanted to eat. I knew I had to skip a meal. But like you said, it was much more of like the values, and that's what made it so tricky. Is at no point did I think it was a problem until like it started affecting other people and people kind of stepped in. And then I, you know, I kind of like started to get a little bit of help with that and then make better choices and find a balance. But for, for, it was a very long period of time for years and years and years. It was just like, this is how I live. Like I, it, it's almost like, I, I don't want to compare it to like religion or like veganism or like mm-hmm. somebody who's, who's um, you know, but I'm sober. Like I haven't had alcohol in, in, in you know, since my sobriety mm-hmm. and I would never mess with that. And that's how it kind of felt. It felt more of like, this was, this was something value to me like why would i go against my values and eat those gummies it doesn't make sense it's all yeah. very different about it yeah I, I heard a i heard a dogmatic component to it like there there is just a you know it it may it it, it makes sense but it makes sense in a way but e- either way this is just what i do period yes Right. Yeah, that's how it felt. It was like, this is what I do. And, you know, it, it felt different in the sense of like, if I was going to go against that, it, it didn't feel like, you know, it, it just, it didn't make sense. It would almost be like somebody who's vegan choosing to eat a bunch of meat because they were a little bit hungry or somebody who's religious that decided to go against God for a weekend for fun. Like, that's how it kind of felt. It was like, this is, this is a lifestyle that I've built for myself. I'm getting reinforcement from all these different factors we've discussed. Why would I go against that lifestyle? Oh, it doesn't make it. Right. I, I, I really like comparisons and comparisons like this in the sense, because, you know, for, for someone who doesn't experience this particular fear, this particular struggle, it, it's, it feels so odd. If you, I'll just say it feels so odd to wrap their head around that. But if you can think about it in that, in these ways, yes, you like, I, I like the example of a, a, you know, particularly religious person just to say, oh, just turn your back against God for a weekend. Like that would sound crazy to somebody. Yeah. And it can, but to someone experiencing orthorexia, it's going to sound the same way of just say, hey, just, just have the baked Cheeto. You're going to be fine or have the gummy. It's fine. The thought of like going away for a weekend and eating fun food, like heck no, like that wouldn't have been fun (laughs) for me. Like that would have been absolute torture. And what's so crazy is how powerful and how severe it got for me is like still to this day, Mm -hmm. when I eat the foods that were, were those main foods that were like unhealthy or whatever, it's almost like I've changed my taste buds because if Mm -hmm. I go to like a traditional grocery store and I get stuff for like high sugars and fructose corn syrup and stuff, because it's so against what I ate for so many years of my life. Like I still to this day don't like milk chocolate. I used to like it, but I I focus so much on dark that when I go to eat dark chocolate, it's almost like my taste buds have changed or something. There's not the fear component anymore, Mm -hmm. but it's like the way that I ate became such a hardened lifestyle that it's almost like I... I got used to that. And the thought of like, you know, so when I eat, like, you know, if I was eating Takis or like flaming hot Cheetos, like it just doesn't like, it just doesn't taste good to me. And I wonder if it was obviously my childhood never eating that stuff, but all those years of like only eating certain foods, it's like, you almost, 
lose like desire for the other foods. And that's one thing that I've heard in clients that have this is they're like, I don't even desire those foods anymore. I've gone so hard to the other side. And that's how it feels. It's like, I still, to this day, can't imagine like who eats popcorn and like licorice in a movie theater. Like that just doesn't make sense. So it, it's powerful. I mean, that's, that's why it's affecting so many people is it completely um, rearranges your lifestyle because mm. food is such a big component of our lifestyle. Right. Right. So I mean, once the once this is start once someone can perhaps recognize that what they're doing is is excessive is problematic. Uh, I mean, I, I've I've kind of told this to clients. You know, if it's if it's not causing a problem, and this is a generalization, if it's not causing a problem, it's not a problem. Or if it's not a problem, it's not a problem, right? But when it starts to become a problem is when it starts to become a problem for you, for the people around you. You may still say this is egocentric, but man, it's causing a tremendous problem for the loved ones in my family, my schedule. I can't work. I can't go to school. I can't fill in the blank, right? That's yeah. the stuff that they're having to sacrifice in order to maintain this compulsion, whatever that compulsion may be. Um, at what point, well, at the point that someone starts to recognize that it's, quote, a, a problem, what are some what are some ways that people can get into treatment for this sort of start making some changes to, to towards a towards a more healthy and functional way of living yeah and you said it i mean that's what starts to happen as you start to plan trips around your eating you start to plan like going out for a while like packing stuff food prep all those things what what it be, you know what i found that is helpful that I do with clients or what I found helpful for myself is it's sort of like a, a multi uh, kind of pronged approach because there is a lot of like misinformation because what people will do is they'll pull things off of like all these different sources, but these are just flat out websites writing to sort of like the, the populace, but we all need different health and nutrition needs. And so mm. what, you know, not everybody's going to have a registered dietitian as a mom, but I do what I advise with clients and what I, what I sought out for myself is working with a registered dietitian to really say, okay, these are what your needs are. And to get sort of like food psychoeducation, because the problem that happens is a lot of people don't know. And so we don't have a very great, like not to knock our country, but we don't have a very good training of like healthy foods and what you should be eating growing up. I mean, you go to high school and like they had pizza for <laughs> in the calf and things like that. So mm -hmm. what it took for me was to really get some good psychoeducation on like what needs I need balanced meals what is, you know, good and stuff is to just get a better understanding, like for my personal needs, like what was the best food and understanding like why a balanced diet is more important than an extreme diet like I had. So I do think that a lot of people with this, one of the first things you could do is if you genuinely don't have a good knowledge of food from a very reliable source that sort of give, has given you personalized information, that can be mm -hmm. a place to start. And working with a nutritionist throughout this might be helpful if somebody has gotten to a point that they're so restrictive that certain nutritional components aren't being met. If there's, if there's anything with BMI or anything with weight because a lot of the clients I've worked with and even in my own story, you know, people are, are malnutritioned in certain vitamins because they've cut off certain foods that they need because they read somewhere that those foods aren't good. Mm -hmm. So getting an understanding and, and to have somebody, you know, overlook that is very important. And then just like an OCD or OCPD, there has to be a component of exposure. But what I found with this is it can't be done in the same sort of like pushy way that OCD treatment can sometimes feel where you're, you're really asking somebody or somebody with OCD is asking to like expand their comfort zone. I mean, this has to be done in a way 
And I, I like some traditional cognitive behavioral therapy where the person is really seeing value in the changes that they're making and they're understanding why this is actually going to benefit their lifestyle versus the restrictive lifestyle they learn and to, to practice sort of pushing back against that all or nothing black or white eating. And because it is so egocentric, it's necessarily understanding like, okay, your values have kind of gone awry based off of the disorder. Let's get them back. If, you're, if your lifestyle is truly wanting to be a healthy lifestyle, we don't have to get to a point that you're eating, you know, fast food, six meals a day, but what can we do where it's more balanced? How can you travel with friends and still eat when you're out? What choices can you make that are smart choices that aren't restrictive choices? And so for me, it was a balance because I think if I would have worked someone that was trying to push me like OCD extreme, it would have so gone against my childhood about my years running gyms that I don't think I would have been willing to do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing and seeing a lot of the need to go really slow. And also, I, 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 what I heard of that was just function. How can we get yeah. someone to function, to function more effectively, right? Um, yeah, I, th I think when, when someone you know, who's struggling with orthorexia hears you know, us talk about treatment and exposure therapy, they go, I'm going to have to eat fast food for the rest of my life. And it's yeah. certainly not the case. It, you know, I, I would encourage clients, I would encourage everybody, myself included, to eat <laughs> healthy and healthier. But that being said, how do we do it in a more functional sort of way so that you can live your life and eat in a healthy sort of way to find that balance? Um, I, I know that we're, we're butting up against our time and, and through the magic of editing, we'll probably come back and, and finish the rest of this conversation if that's all right another day. Yeah. But, but, but one of the things that I would love to touch on, and maybe we can all get some resources, what, what I, you said, all right, and I love the idea of having someone work with a dietitian. What I hear, though, what I suspect is there are going to be people, people out there who says, yeah, my family member, my loved one, my whoever who has orthorexia, they know more about food and diets than the dietitian. Right. So, because they're reading every, you know, they're reading every blog, they're reading all the things, whether or not they are reasonable or not. How does one find a resource that can educate someone about food, but isn't the, those, I'll just say crazy websites that will be reinforcing, encouraging an ultra clean and unhealthy, uh, un unfeasible diet? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And you are right. The, 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 the two things, comments that I'd make is first and foremost, like somebody is researching those articles from that lens. And that's always right. what's dangerous because people are going to reject conversations in the stuff that they read. It's funny because I went back and read that book, like from a much clearer standpoint. And the they talk, yeah the, yeah, the abs diet book um, from Men's Health Magazine. And it says in there to dedicate one meal a week to having quote unquote, like a cheat meal so that you don't feel restricted. My, I, I, I conveniently skipped over that big old <laughs> chapter because my brain was like, no, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. That cheat, you know, in there is for the weak people that aren't as like strong willed as I am. And right. I really conned myself into right. thinking that. So somebody who's going to be looking at all that research is going to do it from that extreme lens and conveniently leave out the parts that talk about balance. And then second, it is different when it is general versus for you. All of mm. us should be eating well and healthy, but somebody that's struggling with type one diabetes or somebody that's struggling with like low insulin or um, is underweight is going to have different needs. And so that's the problem is people with this and myself included, we're going to these kind of general things and not getting it personalized. So some of the restrictiveness because of my body type and being a, a taller, like broader shoulder, I was sometimes looking at the wrong information. And so I was basing a lot 
of that. So we almost with orthorexia, I almost, and, and a lot of us almost create our own diet based off of resources. That is kind of that confirmation bias of all these different places. And then if two articles were different, I would take the one that's most restrictive. That's a little suspicious. So working mm. with somebody that can create a personalized like dietitian plan who understands the complexities of harshness. And so I found like registered dietitians that work with individuals with eating disorders or restrictive eating or um, even OCD get it a little bit more. And that's what I would strongly suggest because they're going to be able to see the extremes that orthorexia provides. Mm, I love that. We'll try to put together some resources for that, but uh, we'll, we'll put a pause here and then we will uh, come back another day and finish this up. Absolutely. It sounds good. And we're back. So as we left off, we just mentioned this, that uh, we uh, we left off just about to get into the treatment of orthorexia and kind of what that looks like. We've spent a bunch of time talking about what what it is, what it's not, uh, kind of some of the components to it, how it's experienced from your perspective or from your experience. So what can someone do about it? I mean, that's the whole point of all this, right? How does someone recover from it? And also, what does recovery from it mean? Absolutely. I, you know, based on kind of what works for me and then what's been working for clients, there's a couple different components that come into the situation. And so, you know, a lot of the debate that I see online is, is orthorexia eating disorder? Is it uh, eating and feeding disorder? Is it an obsessive compulsive related disorder? Is it something else? And so what, what, what I find is effective is first and foremost is I, I often have them work with a registered dietitian. And the reason for that is because orthorexia in severity can sometimes have people at an alarming health experience. So it doesn't always have to be uh, too low, low of weight or, or you know, um, any of that, like BMI and stuff like that, that could be dangerous. Sometimes it could be that they're completely negating certain foods that aren't providing super certain nutrients. So I've got clients that are dizzy a lot of times, feeling sick or feeling other experiences. So getting kind of a, both a medical checkup and a, and a registered dietitian, and this is why it feels so different than than OCD, of course, because we're not going to do that with a client with OCD. But incorporating those, those components are, are a start for me. And I want to get a medical workup just to see like are all their labs okay is there is their weight their their body mass index like are all are all of those things in like a safe range because we want to make sure because a lot of times with orthorexia it's very restrictive around eating because although it's like oh well shouldn't they be getting all their nutrients because they're only eating healthy foods the problem is a lot of these clients don't have they're they're not getting proper information on what is healthy they're taking it from all different sources i have clients especially my younger clients that are taking information from tiktok influencers and <laughs> this person may have no experience they might be 20 19 years old themselves and don't have a lot of experience and they're talking about what's worked for them or a certain type of body type i mean i had a client who was focusing on this tiktok influencer who is a 26 year old very like 200 pound of muscle male and this client is is a teen who's very small in stature, female. And so the advice she was getting was very, very not directed at what she needed. And mm. so that's where I kind of start from is to make sure that those things are being met. What I also want them to get with a registered dietitian is, is let's look at what some of the belief systems that you've created around food. Obviously, I'm going to work on on with the client more so about like how they're behaviorally um, addressing those myths. 
But what I find for a lot of my clients that go and see somebody specifically is they come back with a better wealth of knowledge around food because it is specialized. They're working with somebody who's specifically working with them and their needs. And what a lot of, you know, the the registered dietitians that I refer to in this area, they have experience with OCD, with eating disorders. They understand, they work with me. It's not just like a general nutritionist. And so they start to have a lot better food education. So my clients will get very surprised and say like, oh, I'm not supposed to cut out all sugars or there's certain fats like do avocados and nuts that are actually good for you. I was reading the back of a package and I wanted to only eat things with zero fat. So I was negating all nuts and almonds and all those different foods or, mm-hmm. oh, I read somewhere that cholesterol isn't healthy. So I cut out these foods. So they start to get a better education. And what we're looking for there is that they're going to now base their information on fact versus sort of this created fact that they pulled things from. And then you know, after they have that medical kind of workup and they've worked with somebody to help them with nutrition, my our goal as a clinician is to work with them on flexibility and eating and to sort of change that that belief system in their head that there's only two categories of food. There's healthy and there's unhealthy. So what we're going to work through through the exposure process is introducing them to foods and introducing them to balance. And The reason, at least in my own mind and the feedback I get from most of my clients, the reason it feels like OCD is because it's not so much always a focus on body weight. It's more of that, like, this is right. This is wrong. Why would I eat something wrong if this is good? And so I love in session having them bringing in these foods. I always remind the client that the goal is not to get them to start eating really poor foods. It's not a fear factor where I'm putting like a whole smorgasbord of like, you know, gummy this and bad that. And you're just, you're supposed to gobble down 5,000 calories. And <laughs> right. One of the things I hear for a lot of clients where they're resisting treatment is because they read up on OCD treatment mm-hmm. and they, they think it's going to be like that where it's like they have to eat all this bad food. And so that's why to me, it feels a little bit more how I work with clients for body dysmorphic disorder, because what I see in body dysmorphic disorder and a lot in orthorexia is there is a lot more ego syntonic thoughts. And so there's a lot of resistance to kind of push mm-hmm. back against any of this. So what I work on them with them is one changing kind of the idea of food. Why do we eat? Why do we need the energy? Why does it make sense to have a variety of foods? And then the goal of treatment is to not get you to eat in a certain way that's going to cause health complications. I'm not trying to get somebody to eat certain foods that is going to make them sick or it's mm-hmm. not healthy or it's too unbalanced. So we start just eating balanced foods. We introduce certain foods they've kind of cut out or, you know, I come up with realistic scenarios. What if you're on a road trip with your friends and you can only stop at a gas station? What are some foods you can get at a gas station mm-hmm. that may not be from an organic healthy market but you can still make smart choices that are in line with what your doctors and what your, your your registered dietitian has said. And so introducing flexibility, balance. So yes, there's still a response prevention component because sometimes what will happen with my clients is if they do eat in the office, maybe something they don't think is healthy, there's an urge to reverse that by eating like cleaner than ever for the rest of the day to almost make up for it. To so undo it's, it, it's, yeah. It, Yeah, it's keeping that we're not kind of making those reversals. But what I found with the clients that I worked for and then my own life is a flexibility in eating. And they start to recognize and learn like, hey, I was able to still eat foods that maybe weren't that echelon of healthy that the orthorexia has demanded, but I still feel good. I still feel okay. Like I'm not 
in all the distress that I thought. And so just seeing somebody be able to take a different approach on food and coming up with like action plans for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, a lot of my clients will skip meals there because they can't control what's put in it or read all the packaging and details. So taking a little bit of risk and living in uncertainty of like, I don't know what they cooked this turkey in, but I'm going to have some portion size, et cetera. Because once again, they see the other values in food, it's celebration, it's community, it's culture, like the other purposes besides just what goes in my mouth has to be this because I need to feel and look like that. Right, right. I'm I'm almost hearing in, in that strategy, um, and I, 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 I love all these strategies, particularly what, what I, one of the things I wrote down was this idea of coming up with those fictitious scenarios. Like, all right, you're on a road trip. You can only stop at a gas station. No one thinks you're going to get organic food at a gas station. How are you going to make it work? I, yeah. I, I kind of hear in that, um, I think that there's, to a certain degree, there, within you know, OCD land, we think about uncertainty and taking a risk and all this stuff. But then there's all, this other element of, kind of having a game plan for when things go sideways that, that we can cope. I mean, it kind of feels like the, uh, um, uh, never mind, I'm going to forget his name again. Um, I, I continually forget this therapist's name, big name therapist. Uh, does <laughs> Grayson. Grayson, Jonathan, Grayson, Jonathan yeah. Grayson, he he really harps on that as kind of like that that we can deal with it, and how are we going to deal with it is by doing X, Y, or Z. I'm kind of hearing a little element of that is that if we don't know it's in Thanksgiving meals, how are we going to make that work? Because how how is that? How do we find that balance between reassurance that it's get, that they're going to be okay? in a sense, and, and also taking that risk in, in, from an OCD uh, ERP perspective. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's a big part of it too. And that's where it feels similar to OCD in the sense of we don't want it to be constant um, reassurance. The, the goal is to not read the back of every single packaging to feel okay about eating it. What I talk to people about is, is I don't always like to give people numbers, but mm-hmm. you know, some of the the literature says like an 80-20 balance, like 80% of what you should eat should be things that are healthy, that provide nutrients so that you can be active. And I always, I when I work with body dysmorphic disorder, when I work with orthorexia, I mm-hmm. always make sure that the focus is never on appearance because that is never going to work out for someone. So I'm never like, make sure you eat the foods that keep your figure. That is definitely not the approach I take. But all of us want to be healthy. It helps us fight off disease. It gives us energy to go up and down the stairs, to chase after our dog when it escapes, like to to, to get yeah. good sleep. Like nu- nutrition is actually a component of that. And so a lot of the research that I read was 80-20. It's like 80% of your meals for the day should be pretty good. Not to the orthorexia good, because that's a ridiculous standard nobody can live with, but just good vegetables, good fruits, like different, you know, proteins and stuff. But give yourself about 20% to explore with other foods that are enjoyable. And so what I tell somebody at, at, you know, when they're going kind of like, oh, if you had to go to a road trip or something is we're factoring in balance. There is there has to be a part of you that recognizes that that perfectionistic nature of orthorexia. We're not aiming for that anymore because that is an unsustainable way of living. And the way that I can prove that is yeah. often they're not they're not road tripping with their friends. They're not traveling. You know, I had one client. Mm-hmm who was so about um, uh, kind of like preparing meals for the week that it was like, 
he couldn't fathom the idea of like hanging out with a friend during dinner time. He had to be home to eat those foods. So when they see the restrictive nature, that's where I also bring in this idea of values. Like what, what do you want your life to look like? Yes. You're getting fed by the orthorexia. It's giving you a pat on the back that you've been skipping out on trips and vacations with family and you don't go out at night so you can stay at home and eat the food you planned. But what does that come to a cost? And how can we maybe find a balance where, sure, you're still eating well and you can also go on these trips? And so when I come up with these real life scenarios of if you want a road trip or if you're on a plane and, how, you know, mm-hmm. I'll even go and Google with a client, like, here's what Delta offers on a plane. If, you know, if you did have to go on the plane and you couldn't bring your food, right. what are some choices you could make so that you're not foregoing the trip altogether? So it's more about planning into that balance versus like, let's look at ingredients and make sure everything okay. It's that risk that we have to lean into some uncertainty. Right, right. Gosh, and I, I, I hear that. I, I hear that with clients that there's that they, they, they sacrifice their life for the sake of orthorexia, for the sake of the food that they're eating. But there's almost this justification, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, they, they say, I'm fine with this. I'm fine giving up on, you know, I'll, I'll never go on that trip or I'll never hang out with friends or I won't go to college. Um, but you know what? It's it's worth it to me because I'm I'm being I'm being healthy and or I don't have whatever those perceived consequences are. I don't have bad health. I don't have X, Y, or Z. My body look not looks like it, my body feels like this. So therefore, it's it's all worth it. Well, first of all, I'm going to scan my office for a microphone because I had the same conversation with a client. This <laughs> so you're you're either bugged my office or you were here. Um, no, I, I had the same conversation. Actually, I have a client that has orthorexia and we had mm-hmm. the same conversation. One of the things that they mentioned is that it's really hard for them because the people in their lives that are giving them feedback that it's not, it's not a, a great way to live aren't the healthiest in their family, friends and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so you're right. I mean, that's what makes this feel different is Mm -hmm. the fact that the messaging that people are getting they're they're, they, they could prove, they could bring me articles and they could bring me proof of like why they're doing what they're doing. What I remind them though, is like when these articles come out and the people in the communities, whether it's a gym or bodybuilding community, whatever it is, yes, people are following that, but because they don't have that rigidity and that, that, inability to find flexibility in a situation it's having them forego things whereas there's a plenty of people out there that are eating well that aren't forgiving like foregoing certain things mm-hmm. so the the other component that you mentioned that's so true and probably what i think is like the saddest part of this is that people are willing to give up things that they enjoy for this reason we see that in ocd we mm-hmm. see that in eating and feeding disorders and we see it in orthorexia is that the brain is is congratulating the person for for following <laughs> that strict rule right and congratulating them patting them on the back the dopamine shooting off great 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 and so they can't even fathom a trip with their friends as being fun or like you said they're going to talk themselves out of it because it's like yeah i'd have to give up too much and it's just not worth it and so that's why i feel like the the traditional cognitive behavioral therapy comes important mm-hmm. um you know the psychoeducation to understand that you can have both you can't have both to the level orthorexia is demanding you can eat well and have a healthy lifestyle and part of healthy lifestyle once again a lot of times with orthorexia the whole idea is food maybe exercise no, it also includes socialization. It, clu- it includes self-care, it includes hobbies, it includes balance. And mm-hmm. so it's getting the person to see what they're giving up. But I think that's the saddest thing of this disorder is that sometimes 
it, it takes it to either get to such a bad point or a lot of my clients, it's through intervention, right? You know, family members, loved ones that have reached out and said, look, like this person's just really struggling and they need help. So mm. yeah. because of that egocentric that aligned with like, look, this is part of my value system. It's not a disorder. I think that's what makes it really challenging. Plus that it's so new and the terms new, it's not in the DSM. Mm -hmm. So I think people are still have more evidence out there of why eating well is better than this being a mental health condition. Right, right. Gosh, and I, it, 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 it's such a hard conversation. I, I had that. The reason I brought that up is it's, it, it, it's the conversation I had earlier this week. It's, you know, I, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine with this choice that I'm making. And even if you press even a little bit, you'll, you'll find that they're not fine. But then that, that, that I'll, I'll call it the OCD voice butts in again and goes, yeah, but if you try, if you try to have friends go out, do the things that you want to do, or have, you know, have said that you previously wanted to do, but now you're fine foregoing, what if, or bad stuff's on the other end of it. It's hard, yeah. it, 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 but I think that to, to your point, I think there's yeah a lot of that psychoeducation, a lot of just traditional CBT of of you know the he, leaning in the in the C part of CBT of we're going to have to talk about just your values and your goals and what you want and are you okay with this sacrifice and kind of pl playing with that. I, to anyone who's out there listening, I would encourage you to think about you know what what is it that you are sacrificing? What is it that you're giving up on for the sake of your food? Yeah. And I, I also, yeah, exactly. And, and just who, who did you envision yourself becoming? I mean, you know, when you were eight years old and you, you thought of your future self, I mean, yeah. did you want it to be that restrictive? Like, did you, did you want it to be that? And you may be getting the results that you've wanted, whatever the reason is for the orthorexia. Mm -hmm. And do you, let's look at how you can get some of those same without this this ability i mean this, this rigidity because just like somebody with ocd who's like well i didn't get covid because i did all these things. well a lot of people didn't get covid and they didn't do one tenth of what you did right um the, the other reason that i bring in mm -hmm. the uh registered dietitian component mm -hmm. is because or sometimes if my client um also has a big connection with over exercising with this so i might bring in like somebody who understands that fitness space is because my hope is that what's going to help also break through is when they have somebody who is an expert in this field telling them that what they're doing is actually not healthy and unnecessary. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, you know, if, if I'm the only one saying it, sure, my mom's a registered dietitian, mm -hmm. but just like I wouldn't want to get surgery from someone whose parent was a, <laughs> a surgeon. Yeah. It's like the, hearing it from somebody who that eat, breathes, and sleeps this. Now, yes, you know, you and I were talking kind of off um, Mike about, well, there's a typical to come back and be like, well, I know more than that person. Right. What I remind people is let the person do the job, go in with an open mind, mm -hmm. bring up your concerns, let them really do their work. But yes, you may do a lot of research. The difference, because this is how I feel for us for mental health, mm -hmm. there may be people out there that read just as much up on OCD, BDD, et cetera. But I, I have access to peer reviewed evidence-based studies and stuff. I don't just go up to Google and just hit it up and just blindly read a website that was put up three weeks ago. So what I remind clients is that they're going all over the internet, TikTok, social media, Facebook, their best friend's neighbor for advice, mm -hmm. and then compiling that together to this like restrictive way of life. Mm -hmm. Trust that the person that you're getting education from who's letting you know why this isn't needed to be this, this intense 
because they're doing the same thing as you. They're getting continuing education. You know, they're going to conferences and they're getting uh, they're getting research based and evidence based stuff from some of the best. And just let them do your job, let their job and really be open to this idea of what adjustments can you make so we can enter back in friendships and dating and traveling and all the other things that matter. Yeah. And it it, 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 it can it, it can be hard for someone to get uh, over that hump, you know, over the hump of where they're gaining their information, where they're gaining mm-hmm. their news. Um, you know, if they... It, I think for for some, and not just within orthorexia, I think for some, they, there is a there's kind of this belief in fa- false information that's out there, um, given to given to us by I'm, I'm putting this in quotes, no one can see this, giving it to us by you know big pharma or big you know government or something like that, and the folks who are in the field who are you know doing TikToks and getting the information out to the people, they know, and mm. it it it. It does take a leap of faith to get over that that hump, and it's. I, I recognize it, it's hard, but it's you know it, it's going to take some work, and it can be frustrating not only for the clinician but also for family members to see that they're they're trusting their 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 influencers more than peer review. Absolutely, it is hard, and especially if that influencer has three point seven million, and the registered dietitian doesn't even have a Facebook, right? Like, you <laughs> right. know, there, there's right. this, this way that some, you know, and people have gotten really good at marketing certain information. Mm-hmm. One good thing that a client did show me is there's influencers coming out and challenging those type of influencers mm. and telling them why they're wrong. Like, you don't have to eat like this to get abs. You don't have to do this to to be healthy. You know, things like that. Uh-huh. But no, I mean, some of the clients that I've worked with orthorexia they've gotten information from people that are like let's say like naturopaths they didn't go through the the doctor route so just like what you said about big pharma or like you know oh but this person you know i have to take these kind of supplements i have to do this and that and so then they're they're getting their information from that as well and it's Mm -hmm. difficult it's difficult to navigate and especially you know with orthorexia it's almost like confirmation bias if somebody's mm-hmm. coming out with information that that aligns with that and almost continues to give you a reason and and kind of like a pat on the back to do it mm-hmm. um then sure they're going to take that one thing that sometimes i'll have a conversation with someone is i'll say okay it's working for you right now how are you going to sustain this long term right. and sometimes they'll talk to me and i'm like oh no you're gonna have kids you you, you think you're going to be able to be at home every night at six o'clock you must have not had talked to a family member with kids. <laughs> that kid's going to have a soccer game, then a tennis match, and then a science project. And you're not going to be able to eat right at six at the, at the dot. And then your kids mm-hmm. are not going to eat that kind of like, you know, grilled chicken and, and rice with you. They're going to be crying and stuff. You're going to have candy. You know, it's just mm-hmm. not sustainable. So let's create a lifestyle that's sustainable now while you're with me and getting help. Because even if you could do this the next year or two, you're going to go to college. You're not going to take certain classes. What if your job doesn't, you know, you have a lunch meeting and somebody orders something and they don't let, you know, there's all these potentials that could come up. So what about creating a lifestyle that's sustainable now right. versus in the moment having to scramble because you can't do what you normally want to do? Right. And I, I, we, we've, we've both said this word a number of times. But I just I feel like it needs to be punctuated again. It's sustainable. 
It's how mm-hmm. do we how do we get this going? Not just not just putting all of our efforts right now into this thing while you have zero responsibilities or very few responsibilities. How do you do this when the S hits the fan and when life is really hard? That's what that's when we need to have flexibility. And as we were talking about, I have a one year old and a three and a half year old. Can confirm you. <laughs> You will have no schedule. The schedule yeah. is whatever those little monsters tell you it is. <laughs> I get up at 530, not because I'm a morning person, but because my three and a half year old said, hey, let's get up. Yes. And was not going to children. Anyways. <laughs> right. So the, the, uh, I hope what everybody gets from this podcast is going to have kids. Um, don't have kids. <laughs> That's what we've learned today. Conclusion. Conclusion. Yeah, and it looks like that because even though it's not particularly orthorexia, what I do typically see as, as components of orthorexia is mm-hmm. sometimes it's not just the food, it's the other aspects of lifestyle. It might be a certain amount of sleep or exercise. Mm-hmm. And same thing, it's like my clients that might be 21 who live at home, they take online classes, like they can spend hours in the gym, they can meal prep, they can go to these certain stores, mm-hmm. their parents are fitting the bill, right. um, they can get nine hours of sleep and, and all this different stuff. The problem is, like you said, I mean, you have two smart, ch- small children. Once you get a career, what if your company has you trapped? Like there's all these things that may come up. So it's not sustainable. And what happens and why some people bring themselves to treatment is those things start coming and they can't handle because there's a loss of control. They can't right. control because I always believe that the deeper kind of thing behind some of these disorders is that need for predictability, for control, for, mm-hmm. for balance. And part of that is I can control what goes through my mouth, but when right. life becomes hectic and you can't control it as well, things, like you said, S hits the fan. And so part of the treatment is teaching them to have that ability to like rise to the occasion, be mm-hmm. flexible and to, to, to push through and have distress tolerance and handle things that are difficult. Right, right. So the, the last thing I wanted to touch on was what are, what are, what are things that family members or friends can do to help support someone who's going through it? Either, I, either in, in in both actually getting someone to to the point where they can enter treatment, but also what can family and friends do while they are in treatment and post? I suppose. So, what what is the role that family members have in, in all of this? Yeah, I would say with orthorexia, what I've seen typically is people are more likely to get help if there's family involvement. Um, Like you were saying earlier, Kevin, it's just a lot of people can pull up any article, any Mm -hmm. day of why this is needed, why you're supposed to eat healthy and why you're supposed to live like this. And so if a family member is seeing a loved one really negatively impacted, um, I always think it's a very kind of like soft balance approach. And I always ask family, how do you best communicate information to your loved one? Do they love podcasts? Do they love mm-hmm. journal articles? Mm-hmm. Do they like YouTube? Do they like, you know, approach them maybe with an article or like a, this podcast or something on orthorexia and saying, hey, I just want, I just, I just want to put this in front of you. These are some things that I've noticed and what I'm concerned about. And I just want you to check this out. And if it's in a medium that that person um, you know, uses and it's not pushy and they read it and then fostering a conversation because it's going to be difficult because once again, with a black and white nature, they're going to think, well, what do you want me to do? Start eating like trash. And it's like, no, it's how balance. And why I think, you know, uh, helping them find help is important is because like what most of my clients have said is they're like, well, my family eats unhealthy, so they wouldn't get it. Right. It's almost like, like, especially with the influencers and stuff, it's almost like, 
oh, we're not, I don't want to say cult. That's a little extreme, but it's like, you know, join me, follow me. Let's do this together. It's like a world that they're living in that they feel like some people are on the outside of it and they don't get it. Is there, I mean, I think there can, in, in worlds like that, there can be a sense of superiority to use that word. Like, we are eating better. I am healthier. I am, you know, and they're eating poorly. They're eating like trash or whatever the verbiage is, right? There is a one up, one down type of feeling. And again, back to that dopamine rush. It feels good that if you're doing the quote good thing or the right yeah, thing. And that's why sometimes what, what would be better is like, you know, I, I worked with a client who who's OCD. They had OCD but they, and BDD and a lot of it was overworking out. And, you know, I'm not a personal trainer, but running gyms, I was able to look at that workout and say, I can tell you right now you're doing too much. In fact, it's actually um, having you burning muscle at this point, not even fat. But I knew like their parents telling them that or even maybe me telling them that wasn't effective. So what the family did is they went to I guess they had an uncle who was like really, really exercised and in shape and had the uncle kind of talk to my client and look through his workout. And he was like, no, this is too much. And this is the reason why. And my client was open to working with somebody else. And we mm-hmm. got a trainer involved who understood the mental health component and it ended up working out beautifully. Mm. So if the family, if there is kind of that component of like, they don't get it, they don't need healthy, like I'm eating this lifestyle and I'm going to live longer kind of mindset, then it might be helpful for the family to involve somebody that they know that's a, you know, or if the guy go, if your client, you know, goes to the gym with a bunch of group of friends and you're and the parents are close to the friends saying like, Hey, we've been noticing some stuff. Can you talk to him? So that's kind of to get that mindset of them getting in there. What I always think like when somebody's in treatment, what it's really important is making sure that the choices you're making are in line with what the therapist is working with your loved one on. So Mm, if you're providing an open bank account for them to buy whatever they want, if you're making meals for the family, but then a separate meal for him, if you're Mm -hmm. um, sort of like, oh, I'm just going to back off and let him do what he wants in the house, things like that. The problem is it's like he's getting two conflicting messaging. It's like the clinicians I'm working with want this goal. My family's fostering sort of the orthorexia. What do I do? And right. so just like what we see in like OCD, it's it's making sure that the family members' behaviors are in line with sort of like the future goals of the mm-hmm. client. So um, what I've seen like families do that are really helpful is not constantly talking about food, obviously, but it's like, you know, they'll go somewhere and they'll order food for the family and say, hey, we kind of got you this also. And it may not be exactly what the client wants via orthorexia, but Mm -hmm. providing them with food. And so the person might eat some or, you know, not giving them an unlimited, like, I'm going to go grocery shopping. I'm going to get stuff for the house. You can make what you want from the stuff I'm getting, but I'm not going to have a second grocery run strictly for what you want. So it's Mm -hmm. just pulling back on any of those accommodating behaviors. Right. What about, what about when someone, when when the person with orthorexia has will just simply not eat so in other words they're either yeah. it's either their diet or it's nothing and they'll go yeah. days without eating because the family has pulled back on those accommodations sorry go ahead yeah no i mean what i would add to that is that that's why I, you know my heart always goes out to families that are like look for whatever reason we're not in therapy whether it's cost whether it's insurance whether it's the person's refusal mm-hmm. so it is difficult because mm-hmm. Um, you can get that outcome where the person is like, fine, then I just won't at all. 
My hope is that if they're in care, I mean, that's where the parents can communicate with a therapist, with a registered dietitian. If there's somebody like a, a you know, a personal trainer who's certified, that's part of the treatment plan, like whatever they need mm-hmm. or a doctor for health reasons. You hope that you can let them know and they can talk to somebody and explain it. But let's say the person isn't in, in any kind of treatment or isn't getting that kind of help. Mm-hmm. What I found effective is like a slight modification. So no, like if you come home and you don't buy, you know, like let's say they only eat green spinach mm-hmm. lettuce or whatever like that. Yeah. I was pretty strict with that at a point of time, you know, coming home with maybe like lettuce that is like, you know, still, you know, green, but it, other leaves or something in it and just saying, you know what? I was at the store. I grabbed this lettuce instead. I hope you'll eat from that. So it's like a slight modification. Mm-hmm. And often if the person is hungry, um, they might be more willing to at least try that. So mm-hmm. a drastic shift sometimes is what I see families do. That's just too much. And mm-hmm. the person shuts down. So right. if the person's refusing any help or treatment and they don't want to accommodate, I would say that would be like a, a slight modification in something. Um, so the person, like, let's say the person's not willing to eat anything that isn't organic. So maybe mm-hmm. you don't mess with that yet. Um, but maybe you don't buy the certain brand that they want and you buy a different brand or doing something slightly so that they're starting to be introduced to the concept of flexibility versus like, I can only do one or the other. Yeah. And I know that I, I, in a talk from uh, Alec Pollard at the most recent uh, IOCDF, he was kind of talking about treatment resistant clients and in this accommodation, kind of doing it as a family so that the, mm-hmm. the, the parents and the, you know, ostensibly the client is discussing and agreeing on what that, what the accommodation is that's going to be relaxed or shifted or changed so that everyone's on the same page as opposed to viewing it as a punishment and, and a we're, we're against you sort of thing. The biggest, exactly, and I love Alec Pollard's work. And one of the biggest things that I always talk to family about is don't make family rules for that one specific person. They will feel called out. Make an overall family decision. So, for instance, if right. you know if if, if someone is uh, slamming doors and screaming, you don't say you know oh if Johnny slams a door he's grounded. You know it's like we don't slam doors and scream in this house. If any of us, including mom, dad you know, whoever mm-hmm. does it, these are the, the, the punishments. Rules. And so, right. yeah. And, and having a conversation with the loved one about mm-hmm. eating and just saying like, we're not going to single you out, you know, and, and sometimes what I've seen help, I mean, you know, the family is like, we recognize we're so extreme on the other side. We're McDonald's all the time. We're eating unhealthy. Right. So then instead of making it singled out, they're like, as a family, we're going to try to aim to do a little bit better with foods this is what I'm willing to do. I'm not willing to go to your extreme, but I'm willing to do that. But this is a family thing. And, you know, I'm not making extra food for your sister or your likes this. We're going to make one, you know, so anytime you can make it about the family as a whole, it's way better than singling the person with it out. Right. Right. And for post, it's really just about helping them maintain that lifestyle and to, um, you know, continue to encourage success. Like really, Mm -hmm being their cheerleader, letting the the therapist do the therapist's job, but really, um, you know, being their cheerleader and letting them kind of take the the bull by the horns. And, you know, if the next Thanksgiving, the person is like eating and relaxed and comfortable, it's like pointing that out and championing, championing that, that changed behavior. That's, that's much more flexible. So the person feels like, yeah, people see my hard work. Right, right. Yeah. And, and be, being positive and encouraging, not, uh, but, and, and, but I, I always encourage 
talk to your loved one. What do they want? What do they think it's encouraging? Because it might they might still feel singled out if you're going. I see what you're doing and good job. They're like, I don't I don't need the acknowledgement because then then it makes me feel like I'm special or weird or different. So having that conversation with them on what would make them what would they need or want to be encouraged, I, I think can be helpful. But yeah, I, I know that um, I'm, I'm looking at the looking at the clock. And I think that we've, we both have something going on at the top of the hour. So I want to be respectful of your time. But um, if there's if there's more information about this, or if, if um, I think I've asked you this before, if if listeners have questions about this, or would like to send questions, and would you be willing to jump back on and answer some of those questions about orthorexia treatment? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if, if people hear this, they have questions, I'd love to come back and answer and us kind of like, you know, have a dialogue about it because like you and I were talking about at, at the beginning of the, the show is just, it's not a lot of information out there. Mm-hmm. There just isn't. So as much resources as people can get. So absolutely. If anybody has any specific questions, I'd love for us to answer and give them some additional information, resources, and education. Absolutely. Fantastic. And I'll, I'll put some links up uh, if, if people are trying to uh, get a hold of you if, and um, I'll, I'll get that information off, off air as well. But um, is there anything else that you'd want to add just at the tail end at this point? Yeah. I mean, just my final thought, obviously, as somebody who's gone through this and I works with clients, you know, Kevin, you said it the best. You are going to have so many resources and information on why you should not change your behavior. And I get it. I This was a big chunk of my life. Getting information from, you know, mom mm-hmm. is a registered dietitian, running gyms, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing is there has to be flexibility. We have to recognize how it's negatively impacting other areas of our life. And trusting that just like millions of people out there, we could figure out a way to still eat well, but have a full and fulfilled life where we, you know, approach other goals that matter. So some of those other goals may not feel like they matter right now, but as you get older, you'll reflect and you'll really wish that you have given other things a chance. And so I really hope people hearing this are at least open to just getting a first appointment with someone, just opening up, even if you're not ready to make changes, at least start to entertain or be open to the idea that maybe you can make some flexibility in your life that will actually help your life feel more fulfilled. And you can still 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 have goals and aspirations but not have them completely consumed by this so i really just want people to get hope and know that they don't have to live like this absolutely well chris thank you so much for all your time and expertise on this absolutely thanks for having me kevin of course as always they should also check out all of the other uh podcast episodes on all the different topics that you have listen to it and support well thank you so much all right well have a good day you too take care All right, everybody, thank you so much for making it through this episode on orthorexia. Again, if you have questions about orthorexia and would like uh, uh, Chris to join for a future episode to talk about those, go to fearcastpodcast.com and send me a message over the submit a question link there. Uh, You can also, again, send me a message over at fearcastpodcast uh, on Instagram, and I'll be uh, more than happy to try to uh, get those questions up soon. So everybody, please remember that everything that we talked about here today is just for educational purposes and it's not meant to be a substitute for psychotherapy. If you have questions about treatment, would like to learn more about getting into therapy or just need a little bit of support in your own recovery, go to fearcastpodcast.com and you can click on the find help link and there'll be some stuff there that can be helpful for you. So until next time, everyone, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. 